From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. That's that. We're not going to, we're going to spend, I want to spend the majority of time today on, uh, on where we are with uh, uh, Genesis. So we're looking at Genesis 27. When we left on Friday, we saw that Isaac gave Jacob a blessing. Isaac thought he was giving the blessing, blessing to his brother Esau, but in, in, indeed he was giving the blessing to, to, his, son, I, to his son Jacob, and um, it was a beautiful blessing. And uh, we're going to look at that blessing again today. But I just want to, I need to kind of just step back from the story today and just tell you a little bit, just so you remember kind of where we are. Um, When we started Genesis 61 episodes ago, um, we looked at the creation, we looked at the fall, we looked at Cain and Abel. Uh, And then after Cain and Abel, we saw the generations, we went to Noah. And we spent a bit of time with Noah. Noah comes back from the ark. Uh, then we got to the Tower of Babel, uh, and then from the Tower of Babel, we entered into the story of what we call the patriarchs. And the patriarchs take us through the rest of Genesis. I mean, Genesis is not a complicated book. Um, I mean, it's got a lot of chapters in it, and there's a lot of stories in it, but it's just not that complicated. You have, you know, creation in the fall, you have uh, Cain and Abba, Noah, Noah, Tower of Babel, and then you have the patriarchy. And, and that's it. And a patriarchy is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Jacob's sons. And that's just four generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob's sons. And then we get to the end of, um, then we get to the end of Genesis. So you don't need to remember a lot in the higher, you know, in the patriarchy. Uh, and everybody says that the main character of the Old Testament, um, I mean, you, you could pick any one of these people as which like which one is the main character. Well, uh, when it comes to the when it comes to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that's the that's the flow of the hierarchy of the firstborn, right? Abraham gets the gets this promise from God. Uh, he has two sons. One's a son with his real wife Sarah. The other is a son through his maidservant Hannah uh, or Hagar. And so you have. Um, and, and then that son is Isaac. And now Isaac has two sons. And we're going to see that it goes to Jacob, you know, this, this hierarchy. And then Jacob has 12 sons. And uh, which, which son is the, is the line of Jesus is not the same son that the rest of Genesis is about. So, um, but the fact that he has 12 sons. I, and and it, it is not too difficult to say that of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his 12 sons, that Jacob is kind of the, the main character of this of these patriarchs. Uh, the promise is through Abraham, which is Jacob's grandfather. And then we have Isaac, who gains all this wealth and takes it to another level. And you have Jacob, who uh, has an encounter with God. And then you have his 12 sons. So I, I've always felt like Jacob is... is um, is the main character here, and and we'll we'll uh, we'll dig into that a little bit deeper. So when we talk about Jacob and um, his brother Esau, um, it's it's uh, it's you, you have to keep in mind that Jacob is is the major. I mean, the, the story revolves around Jacob. This is he's a major major character, uh, and so how he's treated and what happens to him is very very important. I mean, they all, they all are, but but he's uh, maybe extra important. So um, when we left, 
on Friday, we basically saw how Jacob stole his brother's uh, blessing. First, he stole the birthright. Uh, he, he got it for a bowl of stew. And uh, Esau should have never sold his birthright. That was, that was dumb. Uh, and then and now he's going to get his blessing. And uh, we're going to see then that everything then goes through Jacob and then his 12 sons. And um, I mean, you've got to ask yourself, is this God's providence? Is this, uh, I mean, could the lineage of Jesus gone through Esau if Esau hadn't been so boneheaded? Um, or was it always predestined to go through Jacob? Um, that's... Uh, <laughs> Now, if you look at Paul, he would have said it's predestined that it was going to go through Jacob, that there was no way that the fates or, you know, that any of these people could have changed the order of these things. God had kind of preordained it. That's it's a very interesting argument. And Paul makes that argument in the New Testament. Um, but uh, you got to wonder if, if Esau hadn't been so boneheaded, would, would he have gotten all the blessings and everything? Don't know because it didn't happen that way. Um, so the blessing that, that Isaac gives to his son, Jacob, we looked at it uh, on, um, on Friday. And I would like to just go back and look at that blessing one more time because it is so interesting. So we're just going to, I want to read it again, and, but then I want to pause and I want to just give you some more thoughts about it. So this is uh, chapter 27, verse 26. Then his father, Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So, uh, and this is, uh, this is Jacob. So it's Isaac said to Jacob. And so in verse 27, so he, Jacob, went to him, his father, and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and he said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. So we can see right away that... Um, that this isn't part of the blessing. This is this is just more of a of a comment from Isaac to his son Jacob about how much he just loves the smell of them. I mean, pretty interesting thing to say, but but uh, there was a special companionship between Isaac and Esau, and Jacob or Isaac loved Esau. Um, I mean, he loved Jacob too, but there was some sort of special bond between Isaac and Esau. So much of a special bond. That, uh, that he wasn't able to see um, that Esau probably wasn't ready to be the person that, that, uh, that he was going to be. And so uh, you could almost say that Isaac was blinded a little bit because of his infatuation and overwhelming love uh, and pride for his son Esau, that he was overlooking some of Esau's um, down, you know, his negative characteristics. And... Because he loved Esau so much and saw Jacob kind of living in the tents and being more of a mama's boy, he didn't really see uh, the potential that Jacob had. So uh, Isaac is not necessarily the perfect father. And, and the fact is, none of us are perfect fathers. We all, uh, we all damage our children in some way because we're perfect, we're imperfect human beings. And so at some level, we're always going to say something or do something that's going, to, that's going to give our children grief or not be best for our children. And we see this, I mean, that's the whole purpose of these stories in the Old Testament, right? The reason why God gives us these stories is so we can learn from them and we can see how 
how the patriarchs did their parenting, how they did things, and we can learn from their mistakes. But the biggest lesson that we learned is that none of us are perfect. We all fall short. Even when we, even when we love our children like uh, Isaac loves Esau, we never, uh, we never do it perfectly. And none of us can do it perfectly. It's just impossible. Um, so anyway, uh, man, I could, I could go off on a, you know, Jesus had no children. If you want to say Jesus had children, it would have been his 12 disciples. And, uh, and if you look at how he treated his 12 disciples, that's a good example of perfect parenting, right? Uh, because Jesus didn't damage his disciples. He told the truth to them. I mean, we could go into that. Um, but it's, uh, but he didn't have any children of his own, which is fascinating. But he shows what good parenting looks like or what good discipleship looks like in the form of 12 disciples. But we're not going to go there. Now, we're going to get to the blessing here. And that starts in verse 28. So I want to just read this one more time. Verse 28. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may the sons of your mothers or mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. So this is a wide-ranging and all-encompassing blessing. Now, I was thinking about this over the weekend. We actually went through this uh, about a year ago. Uh, not here in this Bible study, but in church on Sunday, um, we looked at how there's three different uh, ways of, of categorizing the world or categorizing cultures. And the way we categorize cultures is that you either live in a guilt-innocence culture, a shame-honor culture, or a fear-power culture. And Western culture is mostly uh, guilt and innocence. And uh, so we, we live by the law, we die by the law, and what really motivates us is to not be found guilty. And that's why the story of Jesus on the cross so resonates in Western culture, because Jesus forgives us of all of our guilt. But other cultures around the world look at things differently. For example, Asian cultures have more of a shame-honor uh, that it's not that they're guilt, you know, guilty or innocent, it's that that they either bring honor or shame to their parents and to their families and to their communities and to the world around them. Uh, it is so important. Some of these, honestly, I think guilt uh, or honor shame is uh, maybe even more powerful than uh, guilt innocence. I mean, they're all powerful. But you can look at some cultures around the world and what they do to try to bring back honor into the family. I mean, they will literally kill other family members to bring honor and restore the honor back to the family. I mean, that's pretty powerful. To kill a family member, to bring back honor, is a pretty powerful force. Uh, and then you go into some of these African countries, and it's more uh, power and fear. So they live in fear that there are spirits that are always trying to attack you. And uh, so you want somebody on your side that is more powerful than the spirits. And and so that that's, and you see that in uh, in you know, predominantly today in African cultures, although it could be at any time in any place. So, um, and all cultures have these three things, but there's usually a predominance in a particular culture. So here in the United States, our predominant culture has always been guilt innocence. 
But, and what, what we got into when we studied this last year was that um, different generations might feel differently about these things. So for example, millennials might, uh, might resonate more with honor and shame as they do with guilt and innocence. I mean, it's true. If you talk to a, a person, a millennial generation, and you say, uh, you know, are, are you worried about uh, in the, the typical, um, the typical way of evangelizing, if you died today, would you go to heaven or hell? I mean, do you have enough innocence to go to heaven and hell? Well, none of us have enough innocence. So of course, you know, if we're looking at innocence alone, of course we're destined for hell, but then Jesus, of course, rescues you from hell because he gives you perfection from that. Um, but, you know, you talk to a millennial today and you say, and you ask them that's their question. It's like, well, I, I don't really care about that. I don't care where I'm going when I die. What I care about is here and now, and what I'm really worried about is this whole honor shame thing. I don't want to shame. Uh, I don't want to shame the culture around me by being, uh, you know, by doing the wrong things, uh, you know, and by being a bad person. Uh, you know, guilt innocence is what you do, but honor shame is who you are, uh, and that's and if so, you look at all the conflict that's going around in the United States. Um, you know, you, you, it's not just that you've done the right thing or you haven't done the right thing. It's actually more systemic like that. It's like the color of your skin or the wealth that you inherited or, um, you know, things that are, that are, that you cannot change and that somehow you have to, um, you have to bring, you know, you have to bring honor from the shame of having been born a certain way. Um, and so that generation, they're not a guilt innocence generation. They're an honor shame uh, generation. And then of course, uh, some of the other generations are people who believe that there are forces uh, aligned against you, you know, that there are demons that are trying to attack you and you need a more powerful force, the Holy Spirit or God, um, alongside of you to protect you from these very, very active forces that are out there trying to destroy you. So those are the three, those are the three things. Now I want to go back and look at this blessing because actually Isaac touches on all three of them. So just look again. So he says, so what's the first one is guilt, innocence. Well, um, look at verse, verse 20, uh, 29. Yeah. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers. So what's a Lord? A Lord is somebody who's elevated in the community and they, they call him Lord. Why? Because he is the one that would adjudicate uh, guilt and innocence, right? A Lord is somebody who lives a righteous life uh, and is supposed to be an example of what good and evil is, like what, what guilt and innocence are. And, and by definition, a Lord, I mean, when you've been granted Lordship, I mean, you're basically part of the royal family, um, you know, by extension, part of the royal family, but that you can adjudicate guilt and innocence. And so... Um, so what Isaac gives to, to Jacob is he says, no longer will you ever be guilty because they're going to Lord, they're going to, uh, the nations are going to, you're going to Lord over your brothers and your sisters. You're going to Lord over everybody. You're going to be the arbiter of guilt and innocence. I mean, what a great blessing. I mean, it's a huge blessing, but it goes on. Um, may nations, this is verse 29, may nations serve you, may peoples bow down to you. Uh, and then a couple verses later, may the sons of your mothers bow down to you. Well, bowing down to somebody is an honor-shame thing. 
you're going to, you're no longer ever going to have shame because people are going to bow down to you because they're going to see you as a great, you know, as bringing honor to everything that you do. Um, so that's, that's the honor part of it. And then just one, one more real quick, at the very end, may those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. And that's basically the fear, um, the fear power part of it. Uh, basically that, you know, if whatever happens, uh, the forces of God are going to surround you and whoever curses you, those forces of God are going to come in and rescue and they're going to curse the people that curse you and they're going to bless the people that bless you. All three of these things are covered in this blessing, which is amazing. Uh, I mean, it's amazing in a whole bunch of different ways, but, but basically Isaac covers every aspect of this. He tells his son, Jacob, may you have honor, may you have innocence, and may you have power as you go through, go forward in life. And it's just a wonderful blessing. And you couldn't ask, I mean, some of us, when we come to bless our children, you know, if we got, if we were blessed enough to be able at the end of life to bless our children, what a more complete, I don't think there's a more complete blessing that you can have than may you, may you have honor, may you have innocence, and may you have power. I mean, that is the, that is the three things that you wanted, that you would want to bless your children with. It's what you would want to leave them with. It's a legacy that you want to leave them with. And um, that's what Isaac leaves for his son, Jacob. Uh, It's a beautiful blessing. And Jacob, uh, I don't even think he realized what a wonderful blessing this was. So that's, that's the blessing. And now the question is, what happens after this? Because now Jacob has received Esau's blessing. Esau's going to come back with some game. He's going to prepare it. He's going to give it to his father. And he's going to be like, I'm ready for my blessing now. And his father's going to say, well, I already gave it to you. What's going on? Um, Let's just go into that story real quick. So here we go. Genesis 27, starting verse 30. After Isaac finished blessing him, And Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. His brother Esau came in from the hunting. And he too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who who are you? Well, I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac began trembling violently. And he said, Well, Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? And I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. And when Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me too, my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. Uh, No, he didn't take your birthright. You sold it for bolus stew. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asked, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants. And I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, my father. And then Esau wept aloud. This was going to happen. 
Um, there was no way that it was not going to happen. And um, if you look at this, you can see the whole thing is choreographed by, by uh, Rebecca, right? That Rebecca, who is Isaac's wife, um, had the two sons, loved Jacob more than he loved than she loved Esau, and orchestrated this whole thing, maybe with or without um, Isaac's blessing or knowledge. We don't know. I speculate that Isaac kind of knew and was in on the game. Um, but only one person can get the blessing, the blessing of being uh, the progenitor. I mean, only one, only one person can be through the, the lineage of Jesus, of these, you know, these sons. Um, it cannot be any way other than that. If you have two or three or four or five or ten children, you know, the, and only one can get, if, if you have this lineage that you're going to bring a blessing to the world, the lineage of bringing Jesus, only, the lineage can only go through one of the two sons. And that's it. I mean, and you have to make a choice. There are, I guess the bottom line is this, is there are some times in life where you cannot change the facts on the ground. Um, and the fact on the ground is that this blessing can only go to one of two sons of Isaac. And unfortunately, that's the raw, hard truth of life. And dealing with these facts is part of growing up, right? It's part of understanding who you are and your place in the world. You know, and it's funny, um, you know, if you've ever seen Downton Abbey, right? You have these stations in life, or even in India today, you have the case system. And we in the United States try so desperately hard to have um, equal equanimity, you know, uh, egalitarianism is the, is actually the word for it, that we really, really want everybody to have as much opportunity, uh, as much blessing, as much, you know, firstbornness, if you will. Um, but you, you can't. We live in a sinful world. You can't give firstborn rights to all your children. It just doesn't work that way. The lineage doesn't work that way. I mean, uh, it, and it, it, you can see this so much in families, right? You have, um, on the one hand, the one way that you can give all blessings and rights and everything to your, to your children is to have one child, right? Then that one child gets everything. But there's a downside to only having one child, and that is that child doesn't understand the blessings of having brothers and sisters. So you say, okay, I'm going to have more than one child. I'm going to have two or three or five. You know, Jacob has 12 children. I'm going to give 12 children. Well, then you can't give 100% of everything to 12 children. I mean, we live in a finite world where even blessings um, and even the father's love and parents' love and all that, you, can't, you cannot do an equal world. We just don't live in a world where you can have everything. Um, and so part of living in a sinful world is understanding what you have been given and trying to deal with the reality of the facts on the ground. That's called growing up. And we're going to find out later that Jacob was missing some stuff in his world that he was uh, very, in my opinion, intellectual, uh, you know, sneaky. Um, he, was, he was that type of person. He wasn't a physical person like his brother Esau. His brother Esau is very physical, but not too bright. Um, and so it's funny that Isaac has two sons that kind of divide up, you know, 
he has two sons are to totally different. Together, they would be perfect, right? They would they would be joined together. They could be in, they could make up for each other's weaknesses, but they can't do that because they're both unique individuals, and the blessing can only go through one of them. And uh, you know, so much like uh, like me and my brother. Uh, my brother is the physical one. I'm the intellectual one. My father had two sons, and uh, and wanted to give the business. You know, he owned an engineering business, wanted to give it to both of us uh, to run the business. And, uh, you know, together we would have, you know, uh, done done a great job, but we're both individuals and we both wanted everything. And, uh, you know, that, that causes all sorts of problems. I mean, that's a whole nother story that we probably won't get into. Maybe I've already gotten into it. I don't know anyway. <laughs> but finding out who you are in life, and how God's created you and um, and dealing with your weaknesses and just your where you are and being the best person that God can make you in the circumstances under what you un, under what you've been given is kind of what life is right I mean the first one is you can't you cannot go back and change your DNA so each of us have inherited DNA from our mom and our dad that we cannot change. We are born with that and we live with that for the rest of our life. The DNA that I got is more from my mother. She was a very, very tiny woman. Uh, so I'm very small framed and I've been born with that. My brother is big, strapping, big boned. He got my grandfather's bigness um, and he lives with that. Um, I'm, I'm very intellectually curious. That's something I was born with. Uh, and and uh, my brother's very physical. Um, uh, he's the firstborn. I'm not right. So you can't change that. I'm a male. He's a male. We've got sisters. You can't change that either, right? I mean, there are just some things in life that you cannot change that you're born with, and part of growing up is learning how to deal with the cards that God dealt you. But the beautiful thing is, is that God created each of us unique with gifts and talents, and when we learn how to leverage those gifts and talents that God has given us, when we don't envy other people's gifts and talents, when we are satisfied with the gifts and talents that God has given us, and then we turn around and use those gifts and talents and try to cultivate our weaknesses, then we become to the full person that God's created us to be, you know, to, to serve Him in His kingdom. That's really the journey of life, right? That is the journey of life. And we're going to find out now that both, I mean, when we get to the end of this story, that Jacob and Esau both had to go through a life journey to be better people, uh, to learn their weaknesses and overcome their weaknesses. We'll find that out. But anyway, uh, I, I'm sorry if I'm rambling today. Uh, forgive me. But uh, there's so much behind this story that I want to get out, and I don't want you to to lose out on some of the nuances of this. So, hey, um, and, the, and the, I guess I want to end with, God's created you uniquely, and he loves you uniquely, and he redeems you uniquely, and he gives you power uniquely, and he gives you honor uniquely. You are a unique, blessed child of God because you're in his kingdom, and uh, that is the greatest blessing of all. So, hey, thanks for joining me. Let's just really quickly close in prayer. Uh, dear God, thank you for creating each of us uniquely, for loving each of us uniquely, and for bringing us your son to love us and to care for us and redeem us, and to give us power, to give us honor uniquely. 
We pray these things in his name. Amen.